Good evening and uh, happy Mother's Day to the mothers here. Um, when uh, Bryn became a mother a few years ago with Silas and afterwards with James, one of the things we had to do as soon as we got home from the hospital was to register the birth online. And uh, to my surprise, some of the procedures were a little odd. The place where we had fill in the information about the, the kids and ourselves had Bryn referred to as a parent who gave birth and um, there is up to four parents possible. I was the other parent and uh, we went on from there to fill it out a little confused as the, the whole pr procedure there. Um, Mother's Day sometimes feels like a bit of a, of a relic from a bygone area in a, era in a society like ours. Phrases like birthing parent or pregnant people uh, are becoming more and more common and um, it's become even politically incorrect to define the word woman publicly. And yet, nonetheless, we as Christians need to be able to shine the light of truth uh, about what the, the word of the Lord would say about biblical femininity, biblical motherhood, and how it may be distinguished perhaps from masculinity and, and so on in a healthy and wholesome way, in a God-honoring way. And one passage, interestingly enough, uh, I think gives some examples in uh, biblical femininity and character is, uh, is Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 to 10 there are really some main actors, key actors, you might say, in this story, in this scene. And those actors are mainly women, aside from Pharaoh. I suppose you could say Moses as well, though he is a baby in this story. And those three main actors are all women. They are, I think, each in their own regard, exemplary. And yet, though they give us good and, I think, exemplary, uh, commendable things to consider, the director of this whole scene is the Lord. And in this story, we see that a Savior, lowercase s, Savior, is born and saved from death that salvation for God's people might come through him. This is a, quite an amazing story, and a story perhaps familiar to many of us, and yet I hope that by God's grace this will be uh, able to come upon our ears in a fresh way, in a way that encourages us, and, and in fact also encourages uh, the mothers in the room today. Let's uh, just bow our heads before the Lord in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our mothers. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures which teach us the truth, the inerrant, infallible truth, and it comes from you, Lord, and it directs us in a dark world. 
It gives us direction where there might otherwise be confusion. It shows us the way you provide for us many examples, not perfect examples, but nonetheless examples for us in how we ought to live. And Lord, most importantly, you reveal your saving acts throughout history. We marvel, O God, at what you have done, your sovereignty, your wisdom, your power, your mercy, and how you have in your acts throughout human history foreshadowed the great work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we ask that you would be glorified this evening. And we ask that you would encourage our hearts. And for any who has yet to know you, that you would save, even tonight, God. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So Exodus chapter 2, I think um, Acts chapter 7, which was read earlier, provides a pretty good backdrop to what is going on in Genesis and Exodus leading up to this story that we have here today, this narrative which records for us the birth of Moses, perhaps one of the most significant men in all of the Old Testament. Up until this point, the the Jewish people had come into Egypt under Joseph, and uh, during a time of great famine, and God's people coming into Egypt began to multiply and multiply and multiply, and we hear that eventually the, the Pharaoh who worked with Moses died, sorry, not Moses, Joseph died, and Joseph himself died, and that generation passed away. And yet the people of God continued to multiply and multiply and multiply to the point where they were perceived to be a threat by the Egyptian people. Pharaoh becomes concerned that perhaps this people might rebel. Perhaps there might be enough men to form an army against him. And so... He uses them as his slaves. And to control their multiplication, he subjects them to hard, hard labor. Bitter servitude. And thinking that this hard labor, you can imagine, it was probably seven days a week, who knows how many hours a day, he figured that this would stop them from multiplying and multiplying more and more, and yet God continued to bless His people, and they continued to increase. And so He undergoes more tactics to stop their multiplication. He tries to subdue them through an edict to have the Hebrew boys cast into the Nile. And it is under this seen this context that we come to verse 1 of chapter 2. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, it simply says this, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Try to imagine getting married in such a day as that. Try to imagine 
having children during such a time as that. I've heard some folks um, at work, I'm sure some of you perhaps have thought similarly, this is a very odd time to raise children. This is a, not the sort of world that I would want to raise children in, perhaps. Imagine raising children in a time such as this, in Egypt under Pharaoh and his tyrannical rule. Genocide is not only legal, but it is commanded. And the agony that anyone might experience in losing a son, immeasurable. And yet, this man, this Levite man, and this Levite woman, they get married. And in time, it says, verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. What a, a mix of joy and a mix of despair. You can imagine that this woman must have felt the news of a son. Now, it goes on to say, very interestingly, in verse 2, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, I, I wonder about this statement, that he was a fine child. Many mothers in this room, I'm sure, have felt similarly about their children when they are born. I have a, a fine child. Every child is the apple of the eye of his or her mother. And yet, I don't think that that's really what is going on when, when these words are penned. Moses isn't simply a fine child because his mother loves him. Actually, in Acts 7, which was read earlier, different words are used to describe his birth. Similar, and yet with a slight twist. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. Hebrews chapter 11 also comments upon Moses' birth. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of the faith of his parents and says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This word, fine, could be translated good, it could be translated beautiful. It, it's a bit reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, where instead of a woman saying that she sees that her child is good, God says that he sees his creation is good. And I wonder if perhaps this Hebrew woman saw her baby boy and hoped, and hoped perhaps this could be the boy this could be the one who, as God promised in Genesis chapter 3, would crush the serpent's head. There is this promise that the Lord had given to His people so long ago, right from the beginning. The son of the woman, the offspring of the woman. He shall bruise the serpent's head. 
It seemed perhaps Eve may have well believed that to be true of Cain when she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And we know, of course, Cain was not that man. And we know as well that Moses is not, certainly not ultimately the, the one who crushes the serpent's head. But nonetheless, there must have been some anticipation. We need the deliverance of God. What hope could we have in such a dire desperate situation of slavery under the tyranny of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. She sees this boy, and she sees that he is a fine child, and in faith she hides him, hoping that the Lord might act, that the Lord might start to bring to pass His promises from of old, that those 400 years may come to an end and the Lord may bring His people out of Egypt. Now, can we say for sure everything that was in her mind? No, of course we can't. But I think there is something here. This child, as Acts 7 says, was beautiful in God's sight. And so, this woman hides him for three months now, anyone who's had any babies knows how difficult it is to keep a, a baby quiet. And I'm sure that there were people going around trying to figure out which ones were the boys and which ones were the girls, trying to identify the Hebrew boys that were born to these women. She was no doubt putting her own life at risk in keeping this child in her home. And as I said, Hebrews chapter 11 says they, don't, they didn't fear the edict of the king. Anyone who did not cooperate with this edict from Pharaoh was endangering their own life, perhaps, in his genocidal plot. And yet she hides this child for three months. Now after three months, it becomes obviously apparent that, as it says in verse 3, she could hide him no longer. The baby no doubt would have cried and it probably would have become very clear that her child was going to be taken one way or another. This is an impossible situation for such a woman to be in. And so what does she do? What could anyone do? What could anyone do to preserve the life of their child in such a situation? Well, let me, ask, uh, let me ask this, and perhaps some of the boys and girls can chip in with some of their biblical knowledge. We are in Exodus right now. What book of the Bible comes before Exodus? Jotham? Genesis. Genesis. Here's, a, here's a little bit of a trickier one. In the book of Genesis, when might God have delivered his people from drowning? Anybody? Doesn't have to be Jotham. <laughs> Owen? Noah's Ark, exactly, Owen. 
There's really only one time before this that perhaps the Jewish people, such as this woman, might have had in their memory of when God would deliver His people from drowning. Now, this boy would have drowned one way or another in the Nile. How could she deliver him? How could she seek help from God? Well, perhaps the one incident from times past that may have stood out in her mind was the flood, Noah's Ark. God delivers his people from drowning in the waters through the ark. And in fact, that is the exact answer that we should be thinking about when we come to these verses because it goes on to tell us, verse 3, she took for him a basket, or some of your translations might, might well say an ark made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now, the word ark here is used and, and not by coincidence. You see, this word is an Egyptian loan word. Perhaps some of you know the word poutine. I like poutine. Anyone else like poutine? Poutine is a word from what language? Owen? French, exactly. It's a French loan word that we use. We probably don't pronounce it very good, but we all know what poutine is. It's fries with gravy and cheese curds on it. Well, this word that we translate here, ark or maybe basket or something like that, is an Egyptian loan word, a word which we've come to know as perhaps ark in, in the book of Genesis with the flood. Here is often called a basket. Really, this is a wooden box, a chest. You could even say a coffin, a casket. Better, perhaps, to translate this rather than a basket would be to translate this a casket. This was a box. And just like the ark in Genesis, it was dabbed with pitch. And this woman places her child inside of it. You know, we think of Noah's Ark, we look at the pictures in the children's books, and it looks just like a big wooden boat. When in fact, you read the dimensions in Genesis 6 about how the Ark was constructed, it is, it's not a boat, it's a, it's a box. It's not rounded, it's not meant to sail anywhere, there's no sail on the top of it. It's a big wooden box, shaped like a coffin. And I think, not by accident, God is delivering his people from death in the book of Genesis. And here, this woman puts her baby in this box, this casket even, seeking that God might be merciful to deliver her child from what would otherwise be certain death at the hands of the Egyptians. She puts the child in it, places it among the reeds by the riverbank. And in any other circumstance, of course, we'd say this is irresponsible, this is neglect. There was no other option. Let's make this clear. And that's why when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, this woman is not condemned as a neglectful mother. She is 
commended for her faith in God, for her fearless faith in God. And so we should commend her as well. And so, she's not the, the only one in the story we can see as an example of faith and fearlessness and, and trust in the Lord. It goes on in verse 4. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. Now, undoubtedly, this sister would must be Miriam. I mean, that's the only sister we know of, at least, from Scripture who is a sister to Moses. And this girl stands at a distance wondering what is going to happen, no doubt because she loves her little brother. She cares about this baby boy. And in standing so close to this baby boy, this baby Hebrew boy, she's endangering herself as well. And the daughter of Pharaoh comes by and she takes the boy. Can you imagine the anticipation of what in the world is going to happen? What is she going to do to this boy? Well, the story goes on. Verse 6, When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. You know, brothers and sisters, this woman, this princess, she was not a, a, a Jew. She was not a believer by anything that we can tell. And yet here is an example of common grace, isn't it? This young woman, presumably young woman, takes pity on a little baby. She adopts this little baby as her own. She, even her, risks perhaps her own neck by taking what is obviously a Hebrew boy whom Pharaoh had ordered to be cast in the Nile. She takes him as her own. And here's the amazing irony of this whole passage from verse 7. His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. You have Moses' mother give birth to this child and she casts herself upon the mercy of the Almighty God hoping that God might spare her child. And what happens? Her child lives, enters Pharaoh's household, and she gets paid to nurse her own baby. Delivered from death. That is the sovereign wisdom, and mercy of the Almighty God. And so, 
story comes to a conclusion in verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, brothers and sisters, what is amazing is that this Moses delivered from death, from the reeds of the river, will one day in 80 years come back to the edge of the water, the reeds of the Red Sea, and will walk through the Red Sea with all of God's people out of Egypt. And all those who sought to harm the boys of Egypt, all of Pharaoh and his army, though by this time it will be a different Pharaoh, they are the ones who are drowned. God brings his justice down upon the wicked rulers of Egypt and he delivers his people. You see, a savior, lowercase s, is born and saved from death that salvation may come through him. Now before I talk about how this relates to Christ and to the gospel and and all that Christ has done as well and how this foreshadows his coming, let me say this. We have in the first chapters of Exodus, I didn't speak about the first chapter, but we have in the first two chapters, not one, not two, but five women. Five women who are shown to be examples of good character. And the common theme between all of these women is this. They, they risk their necks. They make sacrifices to nurture and care and preserve and protect infant life. Every single one of them. The only two named in the first chapter, the only two people named... I mean, aside from the 12 tribes who aren't by this point alive anymore, the only two people named are Shifra and Pua, the Hebrew midwives. Not even Pharaoh's name is known. Even in our chapter, we don't know the name of the man or the woman who gave birth to Moses. We don't know the name of the sister. But we know the names of those two Hebrew midwives whom the Lord would commemorate for their self-sacrifice and preserving those little ones, risking their necks to do so. And Moses' mother as well, an example of faith, casting herself on the mercy of God, trusting in the promise, hoping that the Lord would fulfill what he had foretold. Miriam, sticking out her own neck as just a little girl, seeking that somehow she might be used of God to coordinate a way for her own mother to be the nurse of her baby brother. And that Egyptian princess, in common grace, showing pity, showing compassion upon a little baby, a Hebrew boy. And so, ladies, I would just say today that there is so much confusion about what femininity is in our world, what, what motherhood is, what godly womanhood should look like. And we see in this passage the sort of women that 
God commends, that Scripture holds up to us as examples of faith and examples of courage and self-sacrifice. Women who are characterized by tenderness and compassion and mercy and love toward the vulnerable, and especially in this case, toward children, babies. We live in a day where many would encourage women to forsake children, childbearing, their families to become professionals, CEOs, all sorts of other things to compete and try to be like men, to be men, as if there's only something commendable about masculinity and not about femininity. Well, what we see here are gifted, honorable women who show such love and such faith and such courage at the risk of their own lives. And they, they sacrifice of themselves to care for this child Moses and, and other children, as we read about with the midwives in the first chapter. And this should not be lost on us. I'll read one other passage by way of application before concluding with some thoughts about how this text is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that passage is 1 Timothy chapter 5. Please turn with me just to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lays out what godly womanhood looks like in the church, particularly in this context. He's speaking about widows and caring for widows in the church and what to do for the younger women who lose their husbands. But nonetheless, I think that there is broader application for for women, for mothers in general. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 9, and I'll read some verses onward. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work goes on further down to speak about younger widows. Verse 14, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing widow woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, there are some general themes there that we see the Apostle Paul emphasizing the care of children, the care of family, the care of the home and of the vulnerable, and devoting oneself to good works. These are things that he emphasizes for for godly femininity within the church. And these are not things that, that we need to be ashamed of as Christians. 
We live in a world that's looking for answers and it's not finding, finding them very clearly at all in almost every place. We have light, we have truth in God's Word. And we as, uh, as Christians should hold up and commend and honor women such as these. And I know there are many here today, women who have devoted themselves to their families, to their children, who care for the vulnerable, who devote themselves to good works, who nurture and show compassion and help and aid. Praise God for His grace in the lives of mothers such as these and in women in our congregation. Well, let me conclude by reflecting on Christ and how all that we see in Exodus chapter 2 really anticipates Christ, the ultimate Deliverer, capital S, Savior of His people. You see, Christ comes into a wicked world just as Moses did. The true fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, who comes to crush the serpent's head. And when He comes into the world, there is an edict for the baby boys to be killed in his town, in his region. And yet God delivers him. The Lord in his sovereignty orchestrates through the care of Joseph and Mary for his life to be preserved, for Jesus to grow up and one day lead us through death himself dying on the cross in our place and rising from the dead so that we might, with Him, rise from the dead when He comes again. Amazing. And God foreshadows in the patterns of Scripture deliverance in the life of Moses and He foreshadows this great salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. May we be a people of compassion. May we be a people who are willing to stick our necks out, to do what is right, to trust the Lord, even when it costs us. And may we also commend and encourage those ladies, those mothers, those young women in our lives who express their faith in the Lord, and seek to nurture and care for and protect and preserve little lives that we have in our midst. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would, that you would be at work in our midst to conform us to the image of your Son, pray, God, that you would glorify your name among us and that we would be a people who trust you even when it costs us, trust you even when it is risky. And God, we thank you for Christ and his salvation for us. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm going to conclude with one final Song, Hark My Soul.